0: Good morning. Welcome to the English service of today. I'm Pastor Nathan. I'm uh, the youth pastor here at CBCP, and it's a privilege for me to deliver the word of the Lord for us this morning. Why don't we put on our warmest smiles and uh, simply share it to the people around us by looking around and just giving each other a warm smile. Yeah, let's welcome each other into the presence of our Lord as we worship Him and listen to His word this morning. We are now on our new series on First Corinthians entitled, Jesus is the Answer. Last week, Pastor Jared showed us that through the first paragraph of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we can tell that they were a very blessed church. They abounded in the grace of God, grace in difficulty, grace in identity, and grace in destiny. Even before the Corinthian church had worked themselves up to a point of deserving God's blessings, we already hear that He had already granted them blessing. Why? Because Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Because of who Christ is, His life, His death, His resurrection, even the most undeserving churches, even the most undeserving people have been given, and are being given grace. This is the kind of God we see in Corinthians, a God who is gracious beyond what we deserve. This is the kind of God we still live under. We have a God who is pouring out grace upon grace on us, whether we recognize it or not, whether we are aware of it or not. Think about your past week. Probably we're all busy starting the year. Have you recognized the amount of grace that has been poured out in your life this past week? Whether you do or you don't, there has been grace. For this is the God we live under. Grace is there for God is sure. The city of Corinth was the capital of Acharya, situated at the southern tip of Greece. As you can see in the map in the red pin, the city has two coasts. One on the east and one on the west. Because of this geography of the city of Corinth, it had a flourishing trade industry. Two harbors provided shipping opportunities for travel, for trade, for tourism, for economy. Happy New Year, everyone. Most of us just came from the Christmas and New Year celebrations. And I'm sure many of us, as I've seen in social media, have traveled over the holidays. Some went back to their home province for the first time, maybe after the pandemic. Some went abroad to their favorite travel destinations that they missed over the pandemic. And some maybe earned enough money to go to their dream destinations finally. Let me ask you, did you want to come back to Manila after? Uwing uwi. Uwing uwi na ako, Manila. Most of you are laughing. There was this one day over the break, I was messaging with one of our youth, Glenn. Special mention. I think you remember this convo. I said, Glenn, how's your trip? And then he did reply. then a few hours later, Hi, Nathan, I don't want to go home na. With crying, crying emoji. Did most of you feel like that when you traveled? You just didn't want to go back home, come back home here. I don't know if that's sad or that's just realistic. Because when we travel, we imagine ourselves as if we were citizens of that city. Ano kaya kung mag-work dito sa Japan. It's only six months lang naman mag-English teacher kaya ako dito. Sarap. Ano kaya kung dito sa Taiwan mag-work? Kahit mga 2 years siguro. ang siguro. Kung saya siguro. Crabbi, ensara pala dito sa Korea. Kayat mga 10 years habang single pa ako, pa akong family wala pa akong boyfriend, mag-work out dito, ipon lang, enjoy lang. Ilan K-drama kay actors kaya ma mitko. You See, as we travel to different cities and different cultures, we experience a distinct pace of life. We experience and are immersed in a distinct lifestyle, a distinct value system, distinct priorities of that place, distinct food cultures, distinct work cultures, distinct family cultures. So Australia, after four p.m., wala nang tao sa bus. They all spend time at home with their families. What is it like to be an Australian? So we imagine if we actually live in those places. We imagine if we had stayed there for 10 more years. What would happen to us? What would happen to the way of life that we live? The pace, our stress. Will we still have cars or will we use the public transport? Will we still have houses or will we have condos? What kind of job will we get? It affects everything, the place we live in. It affects the person we become. You see, Corinth was a city of trade, tourism, travel, and a lot of money— a lot of money. You can just imagine merchants traveling along in the streets, busy traders nagaalok ng produkto nila, tourists bringing in their cultures, their food, their products, evangelists like Paul traveling from other countries, other religions sharing their gods to you? There's artists, there's philosophers, there's teachers, there's students all in one place, the city of Corinth. And so as we read our passage in Jesus is the Answer, 1 Corinthians, we are immersed into a different way of life in the life of Corinth, a life of bustling trade and rich economies, people who have abundance. The following quote helps us paint a picture of what Corinth was like at the time of Paul. In this wealthy young city, excess seemed to be the norm. The city was stocked with art purchased from around the Roman Empire. It became a center of philosophy, though apparently a few citizens were seriously considering uh, interested in studying philosophy, preferring rather to listen to stirring orations on faddish topics delivered by the city's numerous itinerant philosophers. There were many pagan temples and much immorality in Corinth. Just like we see in the pattern of this world, a prosperous city is usually an immoral city. Too much time, too much money, too much luxury in their hands, humanity becomes very indulgent. So wealth, art, philosophy, orations, temples, and much immorality, that is our pace of life as we enter 1 Corinthians. We are busy with many things and many worldly things. We'll touch more on that in our passage for today. Let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it, is a, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, I did baptize also the household Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, right after last week's section, where Paul was thanking God for the grace that was confirmed in this church, we read of concerns. Actually, Next week, there will be more concerns, and the weeks after that, chapters after that, will be more concerns. This church had a lot of concerns and a lot of issues. But also, before we get into that, we notice one more thing. We're also encountering that there is another blessing that the church had experienced. You can see in the passage that the Corinthian church was privileged to actually be pastored by three of the best pastors of their generations. Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, also known as the Apostle Peter. The Corinthian church is indeed enriched in every way. Because of their trade, because of their geography, pastors traveled there. Paul, Apollos, and Peter traveled there. How many churches can say this, that they were pastored by three of the best pastors of their generation? Probably the Corinth church only. But despite of this, despite of the grace and the abundant grace that they've received, we're discovering that there is an issue. Please show the slide again. There is division and quarreling among them as brothers and members of the church. They're not dividing with the world. They're not dividing with non-believers. They're dividing amongst themselves. A church so blessed. Having three gigantic pastors, pastoring them there is division inside of them. The Greek word that Paul used to uh, describe the divisions it actually means factions, parties, cliques. My grupo dito, my grupo There was a party that called themselves the Paul group, who pledged their allegiance to the founder of the church, Paul. Paul is our leader. No one else. Then there was a Peter. No, there was a Paulist group first. We follow Apollos. We do not follow Paul or Peter. We follow the eloquent and the great preacher, Apollos. Then there is yet another group who followed Peter. Who were committed to following probably a pastor with much authority who, who was once walking with Jesus himself. Then there was still another party who said, I only follow Christ. I don't need any pastor. We're higher than the pastors. We follow Christ and Christ only. These were not just opinions. They were actually dividing amongst themselves. What do I mean? It's saying that the group of Paul is saying to the group of Peter that they are higher than them. And the Peter group was saying to the Paul group, no, this is the higher way then the Christ group was also telling all of them that Christ is the highest way. Lesser groups, higher groups. There's division and quarreling. It was not a silent one because it was one that the whole church knows. It was one that even people were reporting to Paul about because it was rampant. It was public. It was messy. This blessed and abundant Corinthian church. What is this showing us? You see, the issue that we're encountering in the Corinthian church is that what we value reveals what we worship. What we value reveals what we worship. If you look deeper behind, around, and before this actual letter to the church, biblical scholars and historians will tell us that the membership of the Corinthian church was composed, was very influenced by their ge- geographic location. Because of it being a place of travel, a place of easy access, the citizens were a mixture of kinds, Hallo halo So an early church founded in a place where travelers come about, go to and fro, their members were a mix of Jewish and Gentile converts. What I mean is that there's Israelites and non-Israelites, most probably Greeks, because this is a city near Greece. It's in the southern point of Greece. And it's important to remember as we read this letter that the way they do church before was very different from our church now. This was a church plant, it was planted in a local place with the local people. They don't travel to the church, they just become the church there. For the Corinthians, they were brought up as pagan worshipers. There was no Christ before them. It was the first generation of Christ like followers. And so members of this church were formed worshiping other gods before they became Christians. It was their first time. Probably the first century of knowing what Christ is, who Christ is, and what Christ is about. First century. They were exposed to Greek mythologies when they were growing up. Education, Greek. So imagine a church full of first-generation Christians entering into membership to a single local church, Jews and Gentiles alike, different gods, different religions coming towards Christ. They would be for sure bringing distinct values, distinct cultures, distinct beliefs, distinct priorities into their church, things that they hold highly in their cultures. And so the first thing we realize is that because of our backgrounds, upbringing, and formation, we enter the church bringing along certain values and expectations. Even us. Even us today. Some of us were brought up in a very cultured environment, we would say, where eloquence and education, theological thought, reasoning is highly valued. Some of us are brought up in a family that's very loyal. We stick to the people we know, and the people we know are surely more important and more valuable than the people we don't know. Familiarity is a value. Closeness is a value. Affinity is a value. These are all affecting the way we think about church and the value system we bring in. It was the same before. You see, the Corinthian church membership and their backgrounds would oversimplistically look like this. The Jews would bring in a lot of prioritization on law and piety. They were brought up in the law of Moses and obedience to the laws. They are inspired by signs. Remember when Jesus was there, they were asking Jesus, what is the sign? Show us a sign that you are the Messiah. Traditions. Rituals. Feasts. Sacrifices. So they esteem religiosity in the way they did church. They brought that in. On the other side, there's Gentiles, non-Israelites. Greeks, they were brought up in an age of art and reason. Philosophy and eloquence. Teaching and orations. Great teachers who stirred the mind, stirred the reason. And this is the way they relate. They're enlightened. Wisdom and knowledge was a priority. If you just inspire us, it's useless. It's low value. It's just inspiration. Give us reason. Give us, give us new knowledge. Give us something new to go about. Give us new something that we don't know. Tell us. This is what will ensure us following you. So they esteemed eloquence. People who were able to verbalize and express beautiful ideas, beautiful concepts. And so now we go back to the three pastors that they were dividing against. Paul, Apollos, and Peter. Paul was also of a different background. Apollos also, and Peter as well. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 10, it says he is not a skillful orator. And his physical presence is not very charismatic. He was a little man, basically. People say he was bald. So he's not very appealing to look at. He was not a skillful speaker, but he was a writer. But he was called to preach to the Gentile audience. So he was oriented towards the Gentile hearers. Apollos was described to us in his upbringing as being brought up in Egypt, where there was much education because of the wealth. People afforded education. So he was well acquainted with Greek philosophy and rhetoric. So he was very eloquent. He was very knowledgeable and competent in scriptures. Probably a charismatic teacher. Peter then was an Israelite. All of them were Israelites, actually. But Peter had a special distinction. He walked with Jesus himself. So he probably had first-hand experience and first-hand story about Jesus while he pastored the church. So he was a natural-born leader. We remember that in the Gospels. He was bold in his witness. He was confident in evangelism. But he was called specifically to preach to the Jewish audience. So imagine a church bringing in high values on distinct cultures. Some church members were coming in valuing eloquence. Some were valuing inspiration. Some were valuing Jewish traditions. And then we have three different pastors who brought up those three different highlights. What would happen? What would happen? Most certainly members will say, I feel at home more with Paul. He seems to speak my language in the way I think, in the way I relate to God. Ah, oh, Some would say, wow, Peter, he, he's such a disciplined person. He does all the spiritual disciplines. He fasts every day. He feasts every night. He sacrifices. He does all the good things. Grabe. So religious. This is the pastor I want to follow. Not Paul. He's just writing every day. And so for us here today we probably say that too we have different pastors we find affinity to we relate more siguro sa language siguro sa education the way he talks the way he reasons the way he speaks the way he thinks about god it's also more similar to us in the way we were formed So you ask me now pastor is that bad that we have certain pastors we like to listen to more or like to go to more or we 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 we, we ask for counsel more. Is that bad? It's just natural, I would say. You know what's unnatural? What's unnatural was what was happening in the Corinthian church, where they were pitting Paul against Apollos, Apollos against Peter, and Peter against Paul and Apollos. It was saying that this way, this pastor is higher than that pastor that that pastor is better than that pastor and they're closer to God than this pastor. That is the way divisions begin. When you think that Christ is divided only to this kind of pastor, Christ is only on this side of spirituality, Christ is only in education and not in inspiration, in reason and not in signs and rituals. Is Christ divided? You see, the way we do church must be informed by God's word. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 15 to 16, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, Paul, Apollos, and Peter were given various gifts according to the measure of God's grace. Peter was graced to walk with Jesus himself. Did Paul or Apollos have that? No. It was a grace that was given to them by the measure of Christ's gift. It was a grace that was exposed to them because God deemed so, that they had been brought up. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. But was Peter educated like Paul or Apollos? No. Paul was a trained teacher. Apollos was educated in Greek rhetoric. Peter did not have those privileges. He was a fisherman. Ephesians is teaching us that all of our pastors, all of our church leaders are graced by God with different gifts their background, their upbringing. Their experience, their cultures, their traumas, their hurts, their heals, their religious journeys, all were granted different gifts and different grace, determined by God alone. Which makes them very distinct people. Just like what we were talking about, if you were to grow up in Japan, grow up in Korea, grow up in Taiwan. All of us, being, even being Filipino pastors, we're brought up in way different cultures with way different emphasis and way different values. But Ephesians is teaching us a further way to think about the differences. It says, don't pit this difference against that difference, that this difference is better, that this grace is higher than this grace. It says that we are to grow up in every way. This piece, this joint, this part, and that part, if all of them grow, and if all of them work together, that is the way that the body will build itself up. It's not saying to stifle the differences. Okay, let's all be united. Lahat emphasize ng tayo sa reason. Lahat emphasized lang tayo sa eloquence. Lahat emphasize lang tayo sa training classes. Wala nang prayer and fasting. Aral tayo ng aral ng Bible. Wala nang prayer. Wala nang traditions. Wala nang fellowship. Itong spirituality lang. That is actually how we die as a church. Ephesians is saying the way we grow up, the way we are built up, is when different parts... Are allowed to grow. We speak the truth in love to spur one another to work out their gifts and their grace to the best of their abilities. The way we destroy ourselves is instead of being enriched by our diversity, we are being torn apart by our diversity. This is the way we divide. Divisions is the opposite of being built up, right? Instead of multiplying, you're dividing. So the same resource, diversity, can cause two different outcomes. It can cause multiplication or division. But the biblical way to see it is that diversity must be the factor that helps us be built up. So church members and church, all of us have to think of church differently. Instead of labeling our pastors and our leaders according to our preferences and our biases, that this is higher. I'm only going to attend the church if this pastor speaking. I'm only going to attend this pastor's ministry stuff because missions talaga. I think Christ is about missions. He's not really about pray ng pray, wala nang ginagawa. O iba naman, pray lang nang pray, walang ginagawa. Yung lang gusto nila. Hindi. Christ always prayed. He did not always go out. It's not about dividing in that way. It's about everything coming together. Because is Christ Divided? church in what ways have we personally brought the diversity to cause us to divide in our in our minds and in our judgments about our pastors we already have 15 pastors the youngest being isaac 15 imagine if we divided into 15 churches that's crazy And to be honest, CBCP was formed because of a church division. We're not going to hide that from you. We divide it from a church. And so it's in our fabric. Actually, in the, in the Filipino-Chinese churches, that's the way we multiply. Sadly. Filipino-Chinese churches divide to conquer. Sige, Dito ka sa uh, Manila, dito sa Las Pinas. Dito sa Malabon, na ako sa Makati. Sad, eh. Because of the diversity of leaders. One leader wants to emphasize this for the church, the other wants to emphasize this for the church, and then they say, eh, di, wala na lang tayo. How does that begin? It begins in our minds and in our judgments when we start thinking that this way is higher, that we start judging that that guy is lower. That when our perceptions are changed, our biases are skewed, then we have confirmation bias. We find people who are like us to start a new church, to start a new group, Failing to understand that all church leaders are different parts that belong to one body leads to desires, demands, judgments, and divisions. Let me try to explain this. First, you desire. There's this pastor that kind of relates to you more. Ah, I've always wanted the church to do charity work. Charity work talaga yung koolang. Charity work. Yun gusto ko. That's my desire. I want to see charity being done at CBCP. You pray it. You talk about it, you journal about it, then you read the Bible, and everything's about charity. yeah, becoming charity. And so when you go into church gatherings, you start asking church leaders, Pastor Jen, oh Pastor Joseph, why did I charity work?" And they give you answers, then you're not satisfied about priorities. Talaga tong church talaga, si Pastor Jen talaga o si Rev Gen, ay si Pastor Joe talaga. Oh. Then you're making judgments about Rev Jen. You're making judgments about Pastor Joseph. Di talaga the Rev Jen, Pastor Joe. Di talaga di yata Sige si ano naman si Pastor Gent naman ka ko, tiggan ko. So you're causing factions, but the factions is not happening in the church yet. Where is the factions happening? In your mind you've already segregated some pastors as this and some pastors as that. You're having a different mind. Your desires leads to demands and unfulfilled demands leads to judgments about people. And when you judge people, you start segregating them. Di next time about blank. Because it's like Umaayaw yan sa Gantoi, eh. dito na lang kakausap kay Ganto, kasi siya Ganto. That's what the Corinth church was doing. They were siding based on their biases instead of allowing the diversity to build up the church. They were dividing their pastors in their minds, saying that he is more Christ-like, he under- understands Christ more. This one, ah, immature, immature incomplete James 4:1 What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you Is it not this that your passions are at war within you It begins inside of yourself and your fleshly passions Yumang gusto mo dun nagsisimula yung away mo sa kapwa mo Nilalabas mo kasi Nang dimo ini isip. Dimo fini filter. Tamaba? O baka ako lang yun. Baka kailangan natin silang lahat. Would you imagine if the church was full of you? Have you imagined that? I imagine that. Imagine if all my members were Nathan's. It would be terrible. It would be a terrible church. (laughs) So toxic. But sometimes we demand in the church to be like us. We demand our pastors to talk like us, to do what we think the church should do. So we're trying to make everyone like us, even our pastors. And we only choose the pastors who are like us. We're creating a world of like us world, like us church. Is Christ like you only? Or is Christ like your other church leaders as well? in ways that you are not. When each part is working properly, that makes the body grow. So it builds itself up in love. When we are dividing against ourselves, we are not speaking the truth with each other. We are not working properly. We are just doing damage control. When a church is divided, it's not concerned about what Christ's mission is. It's simply plugging the leaks. It's setting meetings with the quarrel causers and the division instigators. And that's what the enemy wants. The church get distracted from being Christ by dividing amongst themselves. When you meet in your small group, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Christ? If you're divided, you're probably talking about your leaders and the way they failed you, the way they failed your expectations, the way they failed your demands, or your church. don't <laughs> church Mahal sila sa gantoy. Eh. Dito sa church ngatinye, na dapat kano'y o nga o nga pagpray natin yan. Tapos you feel so holy, pa kasi last yung magpray. But you've lost sight of the mission totally. You've made diversity what you worship. Is Christ divided? Is Paul crucified for you? Have your pastors been crucified for you? You have one Lord. What do you worship as you go into church membership? What value system might I be carrying into my church? What sort of measures have I been using to judge or evaluate my church or my leaders? In what ways has these measures led me to judge highly or lowly of others or even myself? In Chinese cultures, we value eloquence and expertise. Two two dangerous values in Christian. Uh, Chinese Christianity. Those who do not speak well, we think they are bad leaders. Those who do not teach well, we think they are weak pastors. Be careful of that, my Chinese friends. In Filipino culture naman, they value friendliness. Yung parang kabarkada mo yung pastor mo. Pag hindi mo siya makausap, Hey, ni naman namaman yun. Di siya friendly. Di niya kilala si Cristo Masiado. I'm sure we've said that in one way or another, in our own minds, in our own judgments. Be careful. Be careful of what you hold highly against your brothers and sisters, because is Christ divided among the friendly and the eloquent the approachable, or the great speakers. Or maybe he has given grace to each, so that each part can help each part work properly to build up the church. Speak the truth in love. What does Paul help us? What does Paul ask us to do? He asks us to learn to see others according to God's calling in their lives. Not our calling for them, not our expectations of them, not what we want them to be, but what God has called them to be, according to what God has given them. In the early years of my relationship with my girlfriend, who is now my wife, we used to handle conflict in a different way than we do today. In early times, we would resolve conflict by resolving not to bring up that touchy topic next time. I don't next time. As soon bring up, are That's we Because this is the Asian way we were taught to handle conflict. Don't bring up what rocks the boat. Right? Don't bring up what irritates your wife. Don't bring up what irritates your husband. That's how you keep peace in your house. Don't speak up. Don't speak up against your parents, even when they're wrong, because why? Don't speak up. That's what peace is defined as in the Asian cultures. Silence. As long as everything is quiet, Everything is peaceful. This is what I call peace-faking. Kasi sa loob mo, gusto mo nang suntukin eh. Right? Buisit na buisit gano'y. Sige lang. Hmm. Gano'n kami ng wife ko dati. Babe, what's wrong? Hmm. hmm. Babe, galit ka eh. Kita ko naman, galit ka eh. Hmm? Because you don't want to fight. You want peace. But it's faking peace because deep inside Ukraine mm-hmm. Right? It's peace faking. But Christian peace is way different than peace faking. Paul doesn't tell them to stop talking about the divisions. He said, stop, stop, stop talking about Paul, Peter, Apollo, stop talking, stop. He doesn't say that. He doesn't stifle it down. What does he tell them to do? He appeals to them like a gentle brother. I appeal to you, Brothers. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He does not say stop. He actually asks them to do something about the divisions. And what does he ask them to do? He asks them gently to agree. He doesn't say stop talking about the differences. Focus lang kung anong similarities nyo. But he says, agree about your differences. How does that happen? He says, don't just avoid conflict. Change your heart. Change your thought process. Change your mind. Change your judgments. That is how you agree. It is not just to stop talking about what you want, what your desires are, what your demands are. It's actually, everyone must be transformed in your minds and in your judgments. Work towards having the same mind and same judgment. So he's not decentralizing the responsibility. Oh, wala na, wala na mag-aaway. Akin na yan, akin na yung aaway niyo. Tago natin to wala na wala laruan wala pareho kayong walang laruan he doesn't do that he says okay there will still be paul apollos and peter there what i want you to do all of you change how you think about them he could have said sige na ako na ako naman founder ng church eh paul group na lang lahat ako na magkakausap kay Apollos sa kay peter he doesn't do that he doesn't solve that for them he leaves paul peter apollos there then he says church what needs to change is the way you think and the way you judge that issue. Agree, therefore, by being united in the same mind in in the same judgment. So you're asking me, yun, Pastor Nathan? Iba-iba 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 iba, 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 iba. iba, iba background, iba-iba expectations, iba, iba yung mga gusto natin. How can we have just bigla na lang, same time ng mind, same time ng judgment? How can unity still give space for diversity? If the church needs diversity to flourish, to build itself up, how can we be united? Unity, diversity, pa yun? He says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He appeals to them by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, no one may say that you were baptized in my name, in Paul's name. And then he also says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What is he saying? Agree in the name of the Lord. Kung Christ, you agree there. Agree with who Christ is. Everyone should understand who Christ is. In the name of Christ. I appeal to you in the name of Christ. Not in my name. Not in my emphasis. My theological focus. Not in my ministry focus. Agree in the authority and in the fullness of Christ. And second of all, I'm going to tell you, he says, we are not the Christ. Was I baptized? Did I baptize you? Did I I, was I crucified for you? No, I am not the one you must agree to. He says. So do not base your positions, he says, on human names and human positions and human authority. Base your positions on where Christ is. He is not divided. Then he lastly, he says, I am called to preach. Christ sent me to preach. He says, we are his servants, all of us. Me, Apollos, Peter, we are all servants. Not to baptize you into my group or not to baptize you into Apollos' group. I was called to preach to you the good news of Jesus Christ so that you may depend on him and him only. All of us were sent by Christ to do what we can do to point you to Christ. I cannot speak as well as Apollos, but I'm writing as much as I can to the best of my ability to point you to Christ. Apollos is preaching and speaking using knowledge and wisdom and eloquence not to point you to himself, not to baptize you to himself. He is doing all of his abilities the grace and the gift that was given him to point you to Christ, in the name of Christ. Because Christ is not divided. None of us were crucified for you. We are here sent by the one who was. We're all trying our best to point you to the one who was crucified for you. Through differing gifts, the singular calling of all church leaders is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether with words or deeds. Therefore, our, unite, our unity must be founded on Christ. Our minds must be mutually set on Christ. Our judgment must be based on Christ. Our focus must be set on Christ and his call. Yeah. To end Allow me to drive home my point in this way. Let me tell you my own story growing up in this church. I'm not saying that these are the only pastors of CBCP, I'm just saying these are the pastors that I saw and I personally had my own spiritual journey intersect with throughout my time in CBCP. In my childhood, I was already exposed to the preaching of Reverend Jeremiah Chong. He has always been a gifted preacher a powerful preacher, and a very strong leader, a very strong leader. He speaks of the, the word of God with authority, just like you probably all have heard. And he leads a church with determination and focus. In him, I see the leadership of Christ, the strength of Christ, and the charisma of Christ. Christ. In my time in the youth ministry, I was pastored by Reverend Mike Cariño. He was my first small group leader. Reverend Mike was an entertaining speaker. He knows how to capture your attention. Reverend Mike is a curious mind. He loves to think about things that probably we are weak to think about. His mind is brilliant. And so our small group Sessions would be more about questions than answers. Alis kami ng mas hindi namin si Christ, bago kami pumasok. Dami lang namin di alam. So Reverend Mike leads with that sort of curiosity. What if going natin to? What if dipan natin nagagagawato? What if subuka natin to? Now he's a reverend of our community division and he leads in that way. He's curious. Could God be there? What if we do this? He's a very curious and humble leader who's willing to go out of his bend to see if Christ is there. In my early 20s, I was pastored by Pastor Jared. Pastor Jared is like an older brother to me, but there were countless times that God used him as a man of wisdom to speak counsel to my times of questioning, lostness, my career choices. He was the first one who actually told me, Nate, I think... God is calling you to pastor the church. Pastor Jared is a very approachable pastor. In him, I see the friendship of Christ, the brotherhood of Christ, the humility of Christ, and the wisdom of Christ. In the latter part of my 20s, I was pastored by Reverend Genesis. Reverend Genesis always smiles at you. Even though you don't know him, he's always smiling. Reverend Genesis is not just smiling because his smile is nice. He's a very friendly person. He's very, very hospitable to us. In your most deepest, darkest moments, one of the first pastors you would think of is Reverend Genesis. He's a safe person to go to, he can handle the depths of your sorrows and the depths of your joy. In Reverend Genesis, I found the heart of Christ the love of Christ. In many ways, you can say, I have the privilege or the curse to compare all these pastors. Peter, Apollos, Paul. I can form groups of fan bases for and against these pastors. Their weaknesses. I know them because I work with them now. I also know, and probably they know my weaknesses. They can form groups against me as well. their educational backgrounds, their religious backgrounds, their family backgrounds, their gifts, their natural abilities, their eloquence, their, their, their minds, they're all different. Now at that junction, I have a choice. Will I choose to pit them against each other and my mind against others? Or will I choose to see Christ distributed Grace differently among my pastors. Because in Ephesians it says, Christ gave us gifts separately according to his measure. Iba, iba talaga eh. No one is going to be Christ fully. Christ is not divided. Itong pastor, yan yung Christ, ito walang nakuha. They're all distributed, different grace of Christ, different gifts of Christ. And imagine if you learn to see all your pastors as aspects of Christ. Wouldn't that make the church 15 puzzle pieces that would make Christ more fully known? And so the lesson here, the appeal here, is to learn to see our leaders as Christ does servants that seek to display aspects of Christ that one another or individually they cannot fully display. That is the same mind and the same judgment that Paul is asking and appealing for us to see. Look at their calling. Was he called to teach? Was he called to preach? Was he called to be a counselor or a speaker, a leader or a supporter? It doesn't matter. We need all those parts to see how Christ follows, how Christ leads, how Christ listens, and how Christ speaks. We need all those parts. May the Lord help us. So as we end, let me ask you, in what ways is God working distinctively among my pastors? I want us to have that lens. As you judge us, you probably are already judging us. Si Pastor Nathan, that's eh. But it's okay. Learn to judge our distinctiveness as parts of Christ only, not to divide us. But to look at the grace that God has given each of us. We are all just doing our best to point you to who Christ is with our capacities, our limited capacities. Learn to see their strengths and weaknesses as different parts that is necessary for the health of the whole of the body of the church. What are they contributing to the overall body? They're not the body itself. They're a part of the body. So what part do they bring? In what ways do they uniquely show me the many facets of Jesus Christ? In this way, we are united in the same mind to see Christ's members as merely his members. Christ's body as merely his body and not him. That is the way we have the same mind and have the same judgment. I pray that you learn to see Christ in all of your leaders instead of dividing one against the next. At this point, let me give you some time in silence to reflect on the Lord's message for you today.